staying in the game and that kind of thing. One more message kind of just came to me. I just want to kind of bring it all together, and it's sort of part of the series and the finale of this series. But I'm entitling this one the second half, the second half. You know, every game, think about it, has time periods, doesn't it? Every game has time periods. And so many of us, 50s and ups, are in the second half of our lives. Are you with me? Say amen. You know, maybe others are in a second marriage or maybe in a new career or a new relationship. So whatever the case, we need to play our best game now before the final buzzer rings. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews 12. That's where we'll be. Hebrews 12. You're going to have to use your Bibles on this one. Hebrews 12, verse 12. When you find it, say amen. Hebrews 12, verse 12. And we'll be looking down through verse 17. Let us pray, ask the Lord's blessing, and we'll get into Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. Father, as we think about the second half of our lives and whatever that may look like, whatever that means for us, let us play our best game now, and we'll give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and verse 12, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and the Bible says, make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, for you know not how, for you know how that afterward, if you know this story, when he would have inherited the blessing, the Bible says he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance. Notice, though he sought it carefully with tears. I want to talk about the second half today. And I want to come at it from this vantage point, right out of our text here. And a first statement that I want you to think about is this. Get out of your head. Get out of your head. There are a lot of physiological and psychological things going on in this passage. I see drooping hands. I see trembling knees. And then I see wandering feet. Are you with me? Say amen. All that's right here. Get out of your head. You know, no athlete walks onto the court or to the field or the arena looking defeated. Come on, y'all help me now. No, their hands and their, ha and, and, and their hands and their heads are held high, even if they got a losing season. Even the lions come out with their hands held high. Woo, 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 we got this, right? And doing the little, whatever they do, that little dance and stuff they do. They still come out with a winning attitude. We need to stop the endless introspection that we do on ourselves, that self-blaming when things don't work out as you thought, kids don't turn out like you hope, relationships fail, or whatever the case may be. We need to stop that endless introspection. There's not always an answer, okay? There's not always an answer. I don't know why. Don't know. Have no idea why the bottom fell out in your life. So, friend, you need to learn to walk in forgiveness from God. If it's something you did, then just walk in forgiveness. Amen. Your life is not defined by what you did. It's what you do. Amen. Going forward. 
And so learn to walk in forgiveness from God and from others. It'll do you a world of good. Walk in victory. Walk in joy. Walk in peace. Amen? You know, somebody even wrote a book called Leave Yourself Alone. That's the title of the book. Leave Yourself Alone. That's my kind of book. She's a world-renowned, uh, world best-selling author, Eugenia Price. It's a best-selling book. And the synopsis of the book is this. The emotionally healthy person is the one who is focused outside of the self and whose attention is directed toward God and other people. This book explores the specific areas of life work, of prayer, of con conversation, of relationships, uh, where people can and should leave themselves alone. She states, as long as we are pulled inward, wringing our own hands in despair and self-attention, we don't have a free hand to reach for God's grace. Wow. If we mean to leave ourselves alone, we must keep a free hand for what he has to give. He always knows exactly what we need. Amen. So get out of your head. You know, Satan always wants to play mind games. The other team always want to play mind games on you. They want to stare you down. You know, all that stuff. You need to get out your head. Amen. But then when you get out your head, you got to get up on your feet. After you get out your head, get up on your feet. I see in this same passage that we read here in Hebrews that we need to make straight paths, say straight paths for our feet. Do you see that? He also talks about that that which is lame could be turned out of the way. You know, every athlete, think about this, trips and falls down occasionally, do they not? The great ones, though, they get back up and play hurt. So some are so well conditioned, so well disciplined. Think about this that they play their best games hurt. They know that winning their game, think about this, depends on them performing their little piece of that whatever activity to the best of their ability. If they're on a team, their little piece matters to the whole franchise, does it not? And to the other players. See, with such then a renewed focus, neither we nor others who are weak the Bible uses the word lame, but it's talking about those who are weak. They'll stumble and fumble also. See, life, think about this, folks. It depends on us walking in consistent straight lines, spiritually, emotionally, vocationally, scholastically, communicatively, family-wise and otherwise. Are you hearing me today? See, our stuff falls apart when we're all over the place. Think about this. I had my car aligned not too long ago. Most people forget all about that, but this is very important, car alignment. To ensure that your car goes down the road straight and true and has uniform tire wear, we need to get an alignment. Y'all just need to stop being cheap and spend $129 and get an alignment. huh? So this computer alignment looks at a whole lot more than if the wheels just appear to be straight. See, if your mechanic says, oh, nope, they look all right to me, you need to take that somewhere else. Amen? Oh, excuse me. No, that's all right. Bring it down. Bring it down. I'm going somewhere else. Give me my key back. Right? So there are three major factors. How many factors are there? Three. Three major factors to this alignment. Camber, caster, and toe. Are you hearing me? I'm going somewhere with this. Okay? See, the camber is the inward and the outward, top to bottom. Tilt of the tire, yes? 
That's why sometimes you have uneven tire wear on the inside of the tire or the outside of the tire, depending on that camber. See, when camber is off, your cornering and your handling is off. But, but let me talk to you about the caster. See, caster has to do, I ain't say Casper the Friendly Ghost either, I said Castor, C-A-S-T-O-R. It has to do with the proper steering angle. It affects both steering and handling. When your steering is wonky, you know, and it don't feel like it's steering the way that you're turning it, that could be the caster going on. And then you have toe. Toe means that all four wheels are pointing in the same forward direction. Bad toe affects our safety on the road. Now, why is that? Well, because tires and wheel assemblies that are facing away from each other, okay, they're out of toe. They're toe out or toward each other, toe in, are slightly skidding on the road surface. Are you hearing me today? So how does this apply to us? What does all this mean, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. So how does camber, caster, and toe relate to the Christian's life, spiritually speaking? Well, see, just having all four tires on the ground don't mean we're traveling optimally, does it? Not at all. If we're not doing the proper spiritual maintenance, uh, we are liable to skid off the road, amen, or run off the road, especially if we hit a sharp curve or a slippery spot, we're done. So when you get up on your feet, make sure that your knees are operating right. Go get that surgery. Go get it done. If you need to get it done, get it done, amen? Make sure those feet are pointed in the same direction and the legs are in shape enough to carry the weight for the long journey. See, a daily diet of worship, of Bible study, of prayer and Christian fellowship, when you put all those together, that keeps it running in harmony and smoothly, yes? So you need to get out of your head. You need to get up on your feet. But number three, you need to get on your way. You need to get on your way. In our text, he talks about being turned out of the way. Do you see that in there? Turned out of the way. That presumes then that there's a right way that we need to be walking in. If we could be turned from it, then that means that there is an it that we need to be walking in. So healing, for example, let's talk about that emotional wholeness. He talked about healing. He talked about peace. This magic word that keeps coming up in a lot of our discussions over the last several weeks on, on uh, different studies recently on the theme of balance, victorious, harmonious, family living, and so forth. Peace is so important. He talks also about holiness in this passage. So important that we can't get in heaven without God's sanctification. That is the key that gives you holiness. That's the key that gets you into heaven. To be sanctified is to be made holy. It is an act whereby God declares the sinner now a saint. Somebody say amen right there. We are now sanctified. And the Bible says without that, no man shall see the Lord. That's pretty straightforward. So you have to have that sanctification. But then he talks about personal vigilance also, that looking diligently, looking not only for the Lord's return, but, but making sure we on the road in our lane, by the way, <laughs> in the right lane, huh? going down the road straight. We are responsible to pick ourselves up out of unforgiveness, out of bitterness, out of depression. Are you hearing me? God is too big for us to stay stuck in the mud of life or in the side road of uh, somewhere spiritually. See, re remember, too, 
when we get back to our athletic and uh, um, motif, we are always role models. Every athlete is a role model, whether they like it or not. See, others are watching us to see if we'll give up on the game. The Bible talks about in verse 15 that we might fail of the grace of God. Didn't say lose your salvation. I didn't say that. But we can fail of obtaining and, um, and applying the grace of God to our lives such that we end up in a mess. That's what he means by fail of the grace of God. The grace of God never fails us. We fail it by not appropriating it. Are you hearing me today? And so the Bible talks about the fact that we need to have this, this, uh, this uh, 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 the idea that we're role models. Others are watching us to see if we're going to fall. Or, or, or in that same passage in verse 15, or, or that we might break our fans' spirit. So, so two things are concerned here about being a role model. Number one is that we may give up on the game, or our fans may give up on us. And notice he talks about the fact that your fans might be uh, defiled by your bitterness. You've not let go of whatever that is. And you now not defiled yourself, but your family and all your friends. Now nobody wants to be around you because you're mad at the world all the time. So get out of your head. Get up on your feet. Amen. Huh? I said get on your way. Huh? But then two, number four, I'm not going to be long today. Get on to your destiny. Get on to your destiny. See, a couple of thoughts here. Number one, don't mess it up like Esau and don't miss it like Esau. Number one, don't mess it up. Don't mess your destiny up like the carnal person who cares less about the things of God and they rather participate in fornication and cursing. That's that word profane that he talked about here about Esau. God knew, by the way, that Esau would have squandered God's blessing. That's why he didn't give it to him. He knew that he would and he would squander it on earthly pleasures and pursuits. And he reserved that blessing for Jacob. See, in his providence, that is his unseen hand behind the affairs of all mankind. God orchestrated the events culminating in Jacob's stolen blessing. You know, this was much of a God thing when you think about it, as it was a Jacob Rebecca thing. I mean, they had a master plot. They put hair on the back of my man's neck, made him feel like Esau. They twin brothers, but he the hairy one and the other one was the smooth one. So, so, so to make, you know, but daddy liked the hairy one because he was a man's man. He's a guy, guy. He hunted and fished and did stuff daddy liked. You know, the other one. It, I'm not saying he was man be pan, but I'm not going there. I'm just saying he born in the kitchen with mama, you know. So, so, so Isaac just loved him from Esau, huh? You know, and so so, you know, he had to make Jacob feel like Esau. So he did this whole craft and plan. And you know the story. And anyway, so they fooled Isaac then into blessing the wrong kid. And once that blessing goes out, that's it. In this culture and this time, that was a wrap. Whoever received the blessing, that was it. Esau wasn't concerned about it because he he just said, look, I'm hungry. Can you and again? Because he was a kitchen person. Can you just make me, can I have some of that soup over there? I don't feel like going shooting nothing this morning. Okay. So I'm hungry. What shall this blessing and this birthright do to me? Good enough. That was him. Uh, enter stage A. Here comes Jacob with the master plan. Yada, yada, yada. Steals the blessing and the rest is history. So God orchestrated all of those things. And it was as much of a God thing as it was a Jacob Rebecca thing. He took both his birthright and his blessing, the blessing that God would have, that God would have used his dad to bestow upon him as the firstborn son. Don't mess it up. Don't mess up your destiny. 
Okay? Stay in. That's why you got to stay on straight paths. Okay? Straight paths. See, imagine if we had this wall taken out right here, by the way. Imagine if this wall had no rhyme or reason to it. That wouldn't be a straight piece of carpet repair in there, would it? Okay? You can tell there was a straight wall right there. They built it right. It went all the way down, but they took it out, and, you know, so that gives us a sanctuary, if you will. But it's straight. Imagine if it just kind of, you know, well, I just feel like I'll put the two-by-four over here this, this, this time and the other one over here. Then what would a wall have looked like? It would have been a zigzaggy wall. That wouldn't have been good. So don't mess it up. But then don't miss it. Don't miss it like Esau. See, selling your birthright, in other words, forfeiting your eternal blessings in Christ for the temporary bread of this world. See, Esau wasn't really seeking repentance. Though the Bible seems to indicate that he was, he wasn't talking about his own repentance. He, the Bible was talking about the fact that repentance actually means a change of mind. He was hoping that daddy would change his mind about the blessing. That's what he was seeking. Daddy's repentance, not his own. He could care less. Okay? He got what he wanted. He got his bowl of soup. Are you hearing me? So, but then he wanted his cake and he wanted to eat it too. See, he was hoping that daddy Isaac would repent, change his mind about restoring the forfeited blessing to him, but it was already done. It was too late. Jacob got the blessing of the birthright instead. So Esau, just like so many in our world, is all about instant gratification. We live in an age, if we can't get an answer right away, we get frustrated, okay? Let's talk about quickly then the significance of this selling of the birthright, what that's meant. The, the, the firstborn, in other words, or another big word they call for that is, is primogeniture. So same idea, birthright. This firstborn in patriarchal times in these days, number one, had a right to the priesthood, Exodus twenty-two twenty-nine. Then there's a double portion of all of daddy's blessings and, or possessions, I should say. Deuteronomy 21 and verse 17 talks about that. Then the third significance was that the firstborn was Lord over his other brothers. And so that we see that throughout Scripture, Genesis 27, 29, different other places. Then in the family of Abraham in particular, the firstborn was the very source through which Messiah came. That's quite a blessing to say that Jesus was descended through your family line, yes? As the redeemer of the world and as the head of the church of God. So, in short, the rights of primogeniture, or of the firstborn, were among the most noble, the most honorable, and spiritual in the ancient world. Are you hearing me? So, as children of the king, we have privileges that nobody else enjoys, huh? It ain't worth trading such a priceless, precious possession for the popular, putri putrefied filth of this world. See, we'll never find real happiness, by the way, in anything down here. One verse of scripture here, and I'm almost done. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2 says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not things on the earth. See, we need to keep on playing the game. I, I said we need to keep on playing the game. Because we still, still in the series. Get in the game. Amen. It's all in the game. See, one common thread in all four of the points that we talked about today is that God don't do none of these things for us. He don't get you out your head. He don't get you out your bed. 
He don't get you on your feet. He don't get you moving towards your destiny. He don't get you doing all that's you, boo. That's all on you. Okay? He'll help you, but he ain't going to do none of that for you. So I want you to understand, we got to do these things for ourselves. See, the greatest second half comebacks in history happen when players refuse to give in to the mind games, huh? They refuse to give in to the mind. I'm going to get you, man. Oh, y'all going to be down all on the gridiron, right, and all that stuff. That's the stuff you don't really see on the quarterback's cam, you know? So, so the greatest second half comebacks, people refuse to stop playing the game. They refuse to give in to the mind games of the other team or to give in to the disparity on the scoreboard. It's like 31 to 2, you know, and it's like five minutes left, huh? Or, or the boos of the fans. Now you're in your own stadium. You're getting booed in your own stadium. That's a shame. Nope, they just keep on running plays, amen? They keep on shooting, huh? Keep on throwing, keep on catching and hitting that ball, jumping the bar, sprinting the track, swatting the puck, while taking timeouts when they can to regroup. That's cool. But they never, ever stop playing the game. Friend, keep on playing. Keep on shooting. Keep on dribbling. Keep on running. Keep on jumping for the glory of God, but keep on playing the game. Can we give God some praise today? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the game. And we know it's not really a game, but we understand.